Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Welcome to the Pitchfork Review. I'm Pooja Patel, the editor of Pitchfork. So over the past few weeks, we've asked listeners to call in and tell us a little bit about what's going on in their lives and what kind of new music they're looking for to help soundtrack it. Thank you so much to everyone who did. It's been really nice to get a peek behind the curtain of your lives. And today, we're going to play some of those voicemails and try to help out with a few recommendations of our own. To do that, I'm joined by two of our contributing editors, Philip Sherburn and Rawia Kamir. Hey, Pooja. Hi. So we're going to start with a listener who has been feeling a little bit homesick after so many months of not being able to get back to where she grew up. Let's hear the first message. Hey, Pitchfork. My name is Rose. live in Illinois currently, but originally I am from Prince George's County, Maryland, which is a suburban county of Washington, D.C. A very super unique place, super defining of just who I am and all my dearest loved ones still live in that area for the most part. And I had always thought I'd move back home right after grad school. But I fell in love and I live with my girlfriend here um, in Illinois, which I adore. And also, you know, always a part of me is a little bit homesick for Maryland and just my home. And so I generally try and go visit as much as I can. The pandemic can't visit. So I haven't seen my family in almost a year, which for me is not normal. So yes, I'm looking for like music for homesickness that doesn't make you more homesick. So I was, you know, deep into the Phoebe Bridgers sad girl phase of the early summer and looking for something that makes you relish and feel nostalgic for home without feeling heartbroken for home. But anyway, this is a really cool feature and I hope you all have a great day. Goodbye. Well, first of all, Rose, thanks for calling. I am a fellow Marylander born outside of Baltimore. I actually went to school in PG County. For listeners who don't necessarily know where it is, is that it is immediately adjacent to Washington, D.C. And it is the last stop on the metro line in Maryland as tied to D.C. So I think people from PG County like to take a lot of pride in how close they are to D.C., And one vivid memory I have from living there is getting off at the Howard Shaw stop on the same line that drops you off in PG County. And on the corner of 7th and U Street, there is this iconic, famous kind of like speaker and tech store. And every single day, there would be these guys with their amps and their speakers set up on the block just blasting go-go. Go-go is kind of this like offshoot of funk that became popular in DC in the 70s, I want to say. It's pretty simple. It, It kind of relies on this syncopated drum pattern and 
very heavily on call and response. And it has like this very kind of fun, jammy block party feel to it. The song you might know the best if you are new to GoGo is Experience Unlimited's Dubut. Do you guys know the song, Raya Phil? Yeah, I freaking am obsessed with Gogo. It's the coolest thing in the world. If you're really missing home, I would suggest revisiting the kind of like subtle soundtrack of the block that you might not be thinking about, but is always present. And on that note, I would suggest Chuck Brown, Godfather of Gogo's, Bustin' Loose. The title track, Bustin' Loose, you might also know from a very popular Nelly song, Hot in Here. I feel like Bustin' Loose, I feel like touching you. So if you just need some kind of like vibrant in the air, tangential to DC vibes, go for Chuck Brown, go for the classic and have it playing in the background of your life and you'll feel a little bit like home. I know that you guys have kind of other relationships with nostalgia. Phil, what would your like thinking about home pick be? When I think about home and music, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. I'm a child of like the the 70s and 80s really. And so for me, the music that takes me back is really the stuff that I that I got into when I was like 14, 15, taking the bus downtown to buy records. Cocteau Twins, The Cure, The Smiths, Portland punk rock like Poison Idea. There was a great record store called Second Avenue Records in Portland where I spent like all my money, bought all my records to like pinpoint one record, say. It might be Sister by Sonic Youth, which is, it's it's kind of like a nexus of, of things for me. It was that that tour, the Sonic Youth Sister tour was like the first show I ever went to. Not the first concert, but like the first cool underground show I ever went to. And actually, I think it was the next night I went to a Poison Idea show and I broke my collarbone stage diving. And then I didn't go to shows for a long time (laughs) because I got grounded. I feel like I have a slightly different relationship with nostalgia in part because homesickness is like a fundamental part of my personality. I, you know, I kind of, I think you probably know this, which I grew up moving around a lot. So there was never really like one specific place that was home or, you know, one specific experience that sort of conjures up my childhood. So for me, nostalgia is really more a little bit fluid. My parents met when they were doing their PhDs in Northern England. So a lot of the sounds of my childhood were really whatever random music was popular during the 70s and the sort of early 80s that was accessible to them. So things like, you know, Elton John, ELO, et cetera. But like, for some reason, the one song that sounds like being a human to me is Red Red Wine by UB40. Like, if I'm in a grocery store and I hear that terrible song, I will absolutely drop my bag of artichokes and start sobbing. It just sounds like driving (laughs) home from the beach on a Sunday afternoon with my family. Roya, that was a big song for my dad, too. Really? Yeah, who was from Zimbabwe. And it was like a song that was big in their family. I wonder if it infiltrated like crossover pop radio. It must have, because I think, I mean, I think it was definitely like a Commonwealth classic, like reggae, you know, Mm -hmm. reggae music from all over the world really made its way across Africa and in particular Commonwealth English speaking countries. 
But there was something about UB40 that was just so accessible because it was completely appropriated. In part, maybe <laughs> it was just easy, right? You know, everyone knows what wine is. So you don't have to necessarily share cultural references to get UB40, I think. <laughs> but I, I don't know. That is absolutely not the song that I'm recommending to our dear listener. <laughs> I feel like I have to say I connect so strongly with what she said about the sort of sad girl homesickness of Phoebe Bridgers. And I immediately thought of another song that makes me homesick or that I sort of turn to when I'm feeling homesick for Toronto, another place that I live, um, which is Our Hell by Emily Haynes and the Soft Skeleton. I think a lot of people probably know Emily Haynes as the um, front person of Metric, but I think if this listener is not familiar with Emily Haynes, they would absolutely be into it. Like if she definitely has a Phoebe Bridgers, Sad Girl vibe. And this song in particular has this piano. It's almost like a power pop ballad. So it's not quite sad, even though her lyrics are super about misery. It's just almost like, it sounds like the part in a movie where the protagonist is about to resolve their big crisis. And I feel like that might be, a, you know, a way to sort of feel connected to home, but not quite be super depressed. Another album that came to mind for me here in trying to lean in on the, the Phoebe Bridgers reference was The Weather Station, the self-titled album by The Weather Station. But one thing that I love about this album is that it's primarily about love. It's primarily about a romantic relationship. And there are songs on it, like You and I on the Other Side of the World, that are these really kind of soothing, relaxed, beautiful songs about the ease of a relationship and kind of something that you feel really comfortable and at home in. And I love songs like that where they could be about a romantic partner, but the idea of comfort can really extend to any relationship that you feel comfortable in. Like, I think there's a line in that song that says something like, you're in my old sweater and I'm wearing your old jeans. And I was like, this could be about me and my mom. You know, this could be yeah. about me and my brother. <laughs> this is absolutely me stealing my brother's clothes. Right. And I love that album in particular because there's so many songs about, like for her, romantic relationships that to me feel like they could be projected against anyone you feel truly comfortable with. If I were going to recommend a contemporary artist, kind of again, thinking of the Phoebe Bridgers axis of angst, a contemporary <laughs> artist that sort of inspires nostalgic feelings, I was thinking of that Blake Mills album, Mutable Set, that came out this year. Oh, it's which, incredible. It's, it's amazing. I wasn't aware of Blake Mills before this year. He's great because like, he gives you all the good parts of nostalgia with actually without bad associations you know it's like there's enough in it that reminds me of elliot smith but then it's like where the actual elliot smith song might make you weep well this just gives you the like the warm fuzzy feeling i don't tend to listen to lyrics so i don't even know what he's singing about but just the production on the record it's so kind of like soft and velvety it reminds me a lot of late period talk talk and again the sort of more orchestral elliot smith but also with like sort of electronic elements and it's just so it's just so nice. We listened to it this summer, like sitting out on the porch with my daughter and she was super into it. 
I feel like Vanishing Twin off that album is one of the best songs of the year. Okay, so our next caller is dealing with a feeling that I think we can all deeply relate to. Missing the energy of live music and concerts. Let's hear it. Hi there, my name is Chris Ogden. I'm calling from Manchester, England. Being from a city where we get so much of our energy from live music, I'm really missing live shows right now, especially with all the venues still closed down due to COVID-19. I was wondering if you could recommend me something that captures the spirit of a live show, whether that's a really intimate, small venue show or the kind of raucous sing-along that you get at like a stadium concert. I'm just really missing being with other people singing something at the top of my lungs. So if you could recommend me something that will inspire me to do that in my own house, that'd be great. Thank you. Bye. God, whom's can relate. I really feel this color because I think one of my New Year's resolutions for this year was to start going to shows again, like I used to when I was younger. And then, of course, it came 2020. You know, I have a horrifying accident that took place in a mosh pit. I broke an ankle at a death from above 1979 show. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> so also what a band to break an ankle. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like the ankle breaking music of my life. The time in my life when I was really going to a lot of shows, um, like three, four, five nights a week was around that time of Death and Above 1979. So it was the mid-2000s indie boom. And I remember being at a show. That was either at this like bagel place turned venue or this other place that was a, you know, every city has a Chinese restaurant by day, venue by night. So we had one in Toronto called The Boat. But I, I remember going to a show there one night. This must have been 2004, 2005. I had just moved to Toronto. I was so excited having just moved from Tunisia to live in a country in a city where I could go to shows, you know, where live music is completely accessible. Um, So there was, it was Tokyo Police Club and Born Ruffians and some other Toronto band. But at the time, they hadn't really released music yet. They were sort of just playing whatever little songs they had written in someone's garage. And then I remember buying a CD from the merch table. It was just handwritten. It wasn't a real record. Uh, And I went home and rinsed it. Absolutely. And then the album actually came out. It was a live version of those songs. like total sing-along music. Nature of the Experiment is one of those songs that I think about a lot. It came out in 2006. I don't know that I would love it if it came out in 2020, but listening to it now, it is such sing-along vibe. When Chris said something about intimate, small intimate shows, it, what it immediately made me think of was a pair of albums by Harold Budd, who's an ambient pianist, pianist and ambient musician who did a lot of stuff with Brian Eno. And he has two albums, one of which is La, La Bella Vista and another one's called Perhaps. They're both from the mid-2000s. Both of them were recorded solo, piano improvisations, recorded in really small group settings. The first one apparently was recorded at Daniel Lanois's home, like a group of friends with Harold Budd at the Steinway, recorded completely without his knowledge. So he had no idea there was even like a tape going. And apparently it was just so stunning that Daniel Lanois was like, we have to put out this record. And then the second one perhaps was recorded at a memorial for the composer James Tenney, who had been one of Harold Budd's close friends. If you know Harold Budd's work, it's very sparse and lyrical and melodic, but not 
I don't know how to how to explain it exactly. It's it's lyrical and beautiful and gorgeous, but it's never too much. It, it's never sentimental exactly. It like walks right up to the line of sentimentality without going over it. And both of these records are it's almost like eavesdropping on somebody's thought process. It's like you really understand him, you know, feeling his way through the music. If he's looking for something that has maybe not like a live energy, but like a spont a spontaneity of spirit and that intimacy and kind of communicative quality. During the pandemic, obviously people are trying to figure out how to perform music in social settings in ways that people can participate in. And in in my world, which is the DJ world, there have been a ton of kind of streaming concerts, raves, parties, whatever you want to call them. Um, early on, there was one called Club Quarantena from Berlin. There was a 42-hour virtual <laughs> rave with a bunch of European DJs, Helena Hauf and Ski Mask and Shanti Celeste. They had set up this system. There was like virtual rooms. I guess it's like if you're into Second Life, it would be like that. I don't know. I, I'm not that. Did you go? I, I dipped in. I remember seeing Marcel Detman at like seven in the morning on a Saturday. And I was like, wow, this is like intense for me. And then there was there was like <laughs> the bar and they were just chat rooms essentially. And then one was like the toilets and everybody in there was like, give me MDMA. I was like, this is really weird. <laughs> It was like kitschy, well, who was, but I, I don't know. I don't know how many DJing people, the toilets. Well, what was the soundtrack for the toilets? You know, I don't. I don't remember actually. I don't remember. But and then they followed up with like a club <laughs> quarantine two, which was like a thirty-eight hour rave. I mean, there's a lot of this going on. I haven't necessarily be con been convinced by them as like a social thing, but like I've had good experiences. I have to say that in the early days of quarantine, I absolutely went to a lot of those like Zoom clubs. I had the best time. It was so much more fun than actually going out <laughs> for me anyway. Because <laughs> all I really want is the music, right? Like I don't want a bunch of sweaty people. Oh, I want the exact opposite. I want like everything bad about a live experience too. <laughs> I want to be like lightly annoyed that the tallest person in the room is standing in the front row. <laughs> I want to be able to be drinking like a, a bad beer from the bar. You know, I want to be texting my friend to be like, where are you? I don't know. I'm over here. Like, I love it. I love the whole chaos of, of the live music experience. We're learning to love all the things we thought we hated. I know. I know. For my Rex for Chris here, I had this distinct moment and I want to say early April. So two to three weeks into lockdown where I fully lost my mind. Like the crack happened and I was doing solo dance parties in my apartment. I had moved all the furniture. I had hung up new, like I basically was doing anything to feel alive, you know? And in this period of time, one of our writers, actually, Quinn Moreland, put me onto this album by the group Soki, this Australian hardcore outfit. And the e it's, I think it's an EP. It's actually only 13 minutes long, but it feels like someone has stabbed you with one of those um, steroid shots to, to like bring you back to life. <laughs> and I feel like that is what I've been craving or turning to when I am really missing the experience of kind of the chaotic live show is Riot Girl. I mean, there's an embarrassing photo somewhere online of me during quarantine screaming along, or sorry, a video of me screaming along to Strawberry Julius from Bikini Kills, the singles. 
I also found myself revisiting kind of my embarrassing high school emo past, which is rife with kind of angsty choruses. So Jimmy Eat World, Bleed American, you know, Cloud Nothings, the whole discography. <laughs> but this year, great record this year, <laughs> um, Doglegs Melee. And it's of that vein, if you are interested in kind of like the thrashy pop punk stuff like Pup, um, you will love Dogleg. And it's just kind of that like racing drums, racing guitars, huge walls of sound, super angsty emo teenage lyrics that you can scream along to. Okay, that's probably a good place for us to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll go to another caller and give some more recommendations. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to the Pitchfork Review. We're taking listener recommendation requests with our contributing editors, Rawia Kamir and Philip Sherburn. This next voicemail came from a parent looking for some advice on music history. Hey, my name is Jeff Kormanek. I've been reading Pitchfork for at least 15 years or so, so big fan. I just reason I'm calling is I actually have two young kids, and what I'm trying to do is kind of take them from the 60s and 70s onward with having them listen to music. We have a big listening session every Saturday morning. It's one of my favorite parts of the week. When Matt Bernier said that Willie Nelson's Stardust was his favorite album as a kid growing up, I had never heard it, and when I listened to it, it just kind of blew me away. I'm like... Yes, this is exactly what I, what I want to play my kids. So I was just hoping if you guys could let me know if there's more albums like that, because that's exactly where I want to start their musical journey on and then kind of work them into the 80s and 90s. So anything kind of like Willie Nelson Stardust? Well, I feel like you are the person to start with on this one, being the dad in the room. Resonant dad here. Well, first of all, I love the idea that Jeff has like a Saturday morning listening session with his kids. I think that's such a cool concept and it actually makes me want to do something similar. I mean, we often have music on in the living room around my house. I have a five-year-old daughter. What it made me think of actually was when she was littler, when she was like one and a half or two, we did these classes called Music Together, which is every Saturday. They're small groups with parents and toddlers and like you sing songs and like you play like rudimentary instruments like shakers and and sticks and and it's just like a time to be with your kid and to sort of get them used to the idea of listening to music and participating with music and kind of watching them grow into that and that for me was always my favorite part of the week we don't listen to a lot of like 70s music in my house so i i don't know if i could recommend anything specifically from the sort of singer songwriter sphere but something that We've discovered in our family that's phenomenal, and I don't know how old his kids are, but Ella Jenkins, she's still alive. She's 96 years old now. She was born in 1924 in St. Louis, Missouri. She has 39 albums on Smithsonian Folkways starting from 1957. She's a music educator. She came up kind of singing gospel and then traveled a lot 
studied sociology and brought all of these experiences to her practice. Her records are a mixture of call and response songs. She has an album called Multicultural Children's Songs, Sharing Cultures with Ella Jenkins. One of her first albums is called You Sing a Song and I'll Sing a Song from 1966. And it's got like folk songs, call and response things like Did You Feed My Cow?, um, Shabbat Shalom from Israel, a Maori Indian battle chant. And they're all very short and they're very simple. And she sings a phrase and then the kids, they're all with actual kids in the room and the kids sing back. Now did you feed my cow? Yes, ma'am. Could you tell me how? Yes, ma'am. And we listen to them in, on Spotify in the car whenever we drive anywhere. And my daughter loves them. And we love them. And it's a great way to teach listening skills and to teach just melody and rhythm and all those things. So Ella Jenkins, highly recommended. Does your daughter have specific musical taste yet? Yeah, I have to say, I feel like her musical taste was better a couple of years ago when I was more in charge of it. <laughs> or like her, <laughs> lately there's been a lot of like, can we listen to Frozen in the car? And it's like, ah, yes, we can listen to Frozen. But because there's a lot of electronic music on in my house, like she was really into electronic music really early. Like there's a record by Maurice Fulton and Mew, the Japanese singer called Paris Hilton. And I had it on one day. I think it was one day she was in my office and I have turntables and, and vinyl and she wanted to like see a, how a record worked. And, and I just kind of grabbed the first thing at hand and it's in this pink sleeve and I put it on and it's like a full on acid house number with like Muse kind of like barking. She's like clucking like a chicken is like like an acid baseline and it's just insane. And she loves it. She adores it. And because the sleeve is pink, she started calling it pink music. She would come into my office and be like, I want to hear pink music. And I would have to stop what I was doing and put on pink music. And actually, oh, that's so nice. a couple of years ago, when uh, at Primavera Sound in Barcelona, Pitchfork had, we had like a little live stream thing going on from like a side stage. And I got to DJ the live stream. And it was, you know, it, there was video and everything. And I actually got to play muse paris hilton on the live stream with my daughter watching me at home and it was pretty cool oh, it was it was very uh, surreal because like my wife was was like what's upping me she's like yep she's watching it now it was it was pretty wild so that was a highlight thanks pitchfork thanks primavera oh that's so nice that is adorable raya what about for you i feel like you know well you mentioned a couple of times the idea of listening to music while driving. And I think for a lot of us, you know, the sort of relationship between music and parents happened in the car. So for me, it was often on yeah. Saturday mornings, you know, going wherever my mom was forcing me to go, be it a dentist or, you know, running errands at the market. That's really where a lot of our listening together happened as a family. And something that really stands out to me is the 1974 album Small Talk by Sly and the Family Stone and one song in particular Wishful Thinking you got that right. which is so different from most of their catalog. I think they're really known for the funk and sort of up-tempo psych rock almost elements of their catalog but this one song Wishful Thinking is like all stretched out, like, you know, strings, this beautiful bass line. And I think by this point in their 
career, the rhythm section had changed quite a bit. So you sort of have this mellower vibe, as it were. But yeah, that song, Wishful Thinking, came to mind immediately as I was thinking about Jeff's Saturday sessions with his kids. I think it's not quite Willie Nelson-esque, but it does have a strong singer-songwriter quality that I think Sly Stone doesn't get enough credit for. Yeah, it's really nice to hear that parents are designating time to listen to music with their kids. I think especially as music critics, we have to do this all the time. And I I hate to say have to do this, but it is, I think, part of our jobs to make space to just listen to music in a way that feels critical. And it's really nice to think about it from a enjoyment perspective, but in developing those critical skills. Like he's making a little music critic, whether he knows it or not. Um, But I wanted to talk to you guys for a second about in the process of doing this for our jobs. I know a lot of the staff has talked about how it can be kind of overwhelming and stressful to try to consume this thing that we love in the current climate, like the political climate, the literal environmental climate, the fact that we're all kind of claustrophobic and at home. Philip, though, it looks like you're in a magical garden right now. Raleigh is in a closet. (laughs) I am trapped in an apartment building in Brooklyn. But in the last year, what have you been turning to for kind of comfort music, for relief from the real world, to kind of center yourself? in, as they would say, these times? Okay, I have to say that this is going to be incredibly embarrassing, but that's all right. because Transparency is important. But in the beginning of quarantine, I was stuck in Brooklyn in an apartment by myself. And I was sort of in, also in the middle of a career transition. So everything was felt kind of chaotic. And I felt that it was more difficult than usual to sort of glom onto new music. Um, which is historically where I find comfort. So I did the complete opposite and I made a comfort playlist on Spotify. So here comes this Spotify playlist that's kind of like two parts. Half of it is all really, really terrible, but comfortable music from my childhood. So, you know, I would start many days by blasting the Night of the Roxbury soundtrack, Yeah, which is just, it's not great. (laughs) But it feels really comfortable. Um, And there's something about that familiarity that I think would leave me space to to go into other avenues. Incredible. So what about for you? A lot of it this year has been Bill Callahan, which is kind of very, very coincidental. I stopped listening to Smog in like the late 90s. I don't know. I I stopped listening to a lot of non-electronic music in the late 90s and my listening shifted drastically. And then somehow this year... I don't even know why, really. It was toward the beginning of quarantine, and I put on um, Red Apple Falls and Knock Knock and XCon. It was the song XCon that really got me, I think, and especially the whole Alone in My Room. I feel like such a part of the community. And I was like, oh, wow, this quarantine soundtrack, you know? And I even I wrote about that for one of our staff lists. And then my wife, who hadn't previously been into Bill Callahan. And I feel like maybe she heard Cat Power talking about him on a podcast or something. I don't even remember. But she started kind of obsessively listening to him. And then we were obsessively listening to him. And then I, I ended up doing the Sunday review on Knock Knock. And so in preparation for that, I needed to catch up on his catalog. And so 
I was taking walks every morning. We live kind of at the edge of a suburb, like on a rural, it's kind of walk half a kilometer, then it's everything is like countryside. And so every morning I would just queue up a different Bill Callahan record in my headphones. And I would take like a 40, 60 minute walk uh, around the neighborhood. That's a very Bill Callahan way to consume Bill Callahan. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's (laughs) weird because then I was like living inside his head, you know, and then he put out the new album. And so we were listening to that a lot. And the weird thing, and then we were listening to him in the car. My daughter started like singing Bill Callahan songs, like, which is also weird to like walk into the room and your daughter's like singing I'd Ma Clackshaw or something like that. You're like, that's, that's weird. (laughs) But so he has kind of defined my my year. And obviously I'm done writing. All my writing assignments about him are done. But still, when we get in the car, it's like, I guess we'll listen to some more Bill Callahan because why would we put on anything else? <laughs> Otherwise, I listen to a lot of ambient music because that's, I mean, in part, you know, electronic music is my bread and butter. But also, I don't want to listen to dance music this year. And And ambient music has been, there's been a lot of energy, good creative energy and ambient and kind of experimental electronic music for the past few years anyway. And this year has just been phenomenal. I mean, there was the Hiroshi Yoshimura, Green reissue, Roberto Carlos Lang, or El Alo Negro put out a really phenomenal record that he recorded in Marfa, Texas on the ballroom Marfa label. I've been getting really into Perila, who's this Russian artist who does a lot of stuff with field recordings in ASMR. KMRU, Joseph Camaro from Nairobi, is doing just really amazing, kind of very slowly evolving drone work. So yeah, so when I don't know what else to listen to, certainly when I'm working or reading or relaxing, it's just ambient. What about you, Pedro? What music really stuck out to you as you try to cope with the uncertainty of whatever this year has been? Yeah, I think that I've kind of receded into really comfortable electronic music. I remember earlier in in the March-April zone for the same list that Bill was mentioning earlier, I wrote about Burial's album, Untrue. And there is something about that album that I find super comforting, even though it's so sparse. Like it feels like it mirrors kind of the coldness or the emptiness or the detachment of city life after dark. But there's this really beautiful, hopeful sentiment that underlines a lot of that music. I mean, the song, the very famous song from that album, Archangel, with the hook, you know, loving you, could it be alone? And that's how I feel about the whole world right now. Like, the want for community and the want for being around people and knowing that we're doing all of that alone, not to be so sentimental about it. Another album that I found myself revisiting a lot was DJ Kaza's Amygdala. Especially, God, turn that album on. The first track on it is Track ID Anyone. And literally, this it's like this very hazy, soft kind of rolling, dreamy techno that has this kind of underlying longingness to it in my mind. But the song, literally, the only words on the song are something to the effect of Monday's all right, Tuesday's awful, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday are all the same, didn't go to sleep on Saturday, and now it's Sunday. And like, what a better encapsulation of what time feels like right now than that. But yeah, I keep finding myself slipping into that world of things that feel kind of both amorphous and nostalgic and have some sort of like running momentum below them so that you can stay focused and you can keep kind of moving forward. 
that's how I'm kind of thinking about it, at least. What I think is interesting is that with the absence of the ambient music you mentioned, Phil, none of us are turning to things that are super modern or contemporary or recent for comfort right now. And that's not because there hasn't been great music. There's been plenty of great music that came out this year. So I wonder how, how are we going to mark this time? You know, as critics, we are, I'm saying this as someone who is in the process of making several year end lists at the moment. As critics, we constantly associate music with periods of time. Do you guys have any sense of like how you'll mark 2020 in terms of music? I think I do. Like, I think I have, and I, you know, I'm sure I'll articulate it differently in 10 or 20 years should we make it that long. But I have like my (laughs) inside. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I have my inside my bubble sort of music. And that sounds a lot like Serpent and Speed, the three song EP called Apparition that came out this year. And in particular, this one song called A Comma that's been kind of like a prayer for me all year. There's this line on there that's something along the lines of, I pray for a punctuation, Lord, be a comma. I pray for punctuation, Lord, be a comma, a better comma, more sweeter situation. That's for me, that's like one of the most powerful and 2020-esque things I've ever heard. But then on the other side, there's the stuff outside my bubble, which when I was living in Brooklyn this summer was a lot of Brooklyn drill and even some UK drill. And that would sort of pierce in into my bubble through like an open window. And I think that captured for me a lot more of the anger and the urgency that defines some elements of 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But what about for you? I mean, it sounds, it's going to sound really like so obvious it's a cliche but i i i imagine looking back and and seeing regarding the adrian linker album songs and in- instrumentals is like a big one for me for this year i mean i've been listening to that intensely since it came out of all the sort of pandemic records you know the records that were written and recorded and released during this whole time i mean that one is the one that probably speaks to me the most in terms of the feel of this time and obviously you know it's a very melancholy record it's on paper, it could almost be too much. You know, it's like, oh, she retreated to a cabin in the woods. And it's just like mm-hmm. voice and guitar and like birdsong and rainfall. And skeptical me would be like, no. But it's so expressive and it's so well done. And the time that I spent with it this year, it's just imprinted itself on my year in that way. Yeah. I feel like mine are also obvious for what it's worth. I feel like Fiona Apple and Waxahachie are the two poles for me. And they're not very distinct poles. You know, like Fiona made an album that sounded like being trapped in a metal box and trying to fight your way out of it. And Waxahachie made this album that felt like being free in the field and and commentating on what you see around you. And both of those things are things that I clung to in 2020. Oh, also, I should add that I think I got COVID at a Moses Sumney show. So I maybe, maybe I'll remember that. (laughs) I was with you at that show. Yeah, we (laughs) had. Oh, no. That's when I got sick. Oh, no. Well, I didn't get COVID. Oh, boy. Okay, well, I'm going to queue up a night at the Roxbury (laughs) to get me through the next two hours. But thank you guys so much for coming on today. It was really nice to chat. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you both. This was great. 
Thanks to everyone who called in to share their stories and ask for some new music recs. If you want to hear the songs we talked about on this episode, check out our Spotify playlist. It's called The Pitchfork Review, Music from the Podcast. The Pitchfork Review is hosted by me, Pooja Patel. Thanks to Rawia Kamir and Philip Sherburn for coming on the episode. You can follow Rawia on Instagram at Rawia Kamir, and you can follow Phil on Twitter at Philip Sherburn. You can follow me at Sonari. You can follow Pitchfork on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Pitchfork. This episode was produced by Zachariah Hughes and Rufara Mazarura. It was edited by Andy Kush, Vikram Patel, and Jonathan Hirsch. Our original music is by Andrew Epen of Basement Crafts. Special thanks to Amy Phillips. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. You can also send an email to podcast at pitchfork.com with any feedback. Thanks for listening and see you next week.